0: All right. Um, before I get started with my message this morning, um, actually I actually want to share a Scripture. I was thinking about whether to do this or not, but um, when in doubt, um, I'll share. And, and if it if it's for you, wonderful. If it's not, um, you heard the Word of God, so that's not a bad thing, right? Um, this is Psalm 126. I was reading. I've been reading in Psalms um, for a while now, uh, my daily reading, and uh, this one just jumped out at me. Uh, It says, When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, The Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, Will return with the songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. Um, it was interesting this week I, as I was praying. We're doing a, a series. Jeremy, are we are we good to go? Or okay? Um, sorry, guys. I'm just trying to communicate. Make sure we're doing the live stream. Everything is in in the time and have. Um, but as I was praying for us, um, I, I just felt like this scripture especially was was important. That there's a there's a sense of sowing in tears. Um, and reaping with joy. And the danger is, if if we're not careful, because sowing comes with tears, it's easy to give up before the reaping. And so I don't know if that applies to you. I know it does to me. Sometimes I just feel the weight of, you know, just the sense of God, you know, I'm building into. I know I'm doing the things that you've called me to do, but I'm just wondering, is it is it actually doing any good, <laughs> right? Are we, you know, the things I'm building into, the things that I, I say that you've said into my heart that I think are important, um, it doesn't always, you don't always see fruit from it right away. And I think, you know, learning to be a farmer, I would imagine one of the most challenging things about learning to be a farmer is not to go out and check the, you know, the harvest every single day because it's not there. <laughs> and uh, And just trust the process, I guess is the best way to put it. So I just wanted to share that, this morning, um, and, and if that's you, I just want to pray for you. I just want to pray that, you know, that you you would not grow weary, and, and you know, Bible talks about that in many, many ways, that it's, it's easy to grow weary in doing good, and so just don't do that. It just challenges us not to, and I think that's an intentional thing. Um, it doesn't mean you don't feel it. It just means that you make a decision about what you're going to do with it, and don't give in to how you feel. Does that make sense? It's, I think that's a maturity thing that we're all growing into, but let me just pray for us. So, Jesus, thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, you understand more than any of us what it means to sow in tears. And, uh, and Lord, especially I think of you in the garden and as you prayed. You brought your disciples with you, Lord, and they seemed to not be on board with what you were doing. And in so many ways, Lord, you must have felt very alone. And I know, Lord, we all have come to that place um, at one point. Uh, Of time or another. And I think, Lord, maybe many of us are feeling that now, especially with the last couple of years and the isolation that we've all felt. Um, And the pushback, Lord, the challenges with our economy, all those things, Lord, just feel like sometimes we wonder, um, is is the harvest actually coming? And Lord, we know it, it is because we've seen harvests in the past. And so, Lord, would you remind us again that um, that you are faithful, Lord, even when we are faithless, even when we don't do it right, even when we have given up, Lord, you're still faithful to come and, and finish what you began in us, Lord, you would, you would be faithful to do that, so Lord, we just place again our trust in you, um, Lord, as one of the guys said in, in the gospels, Lord, help, help my unbelief, help me to really lean into what you're saying and doing in my life personally, Lord, in our church, in our extended families, Lord in our uh, employment, our jobs, our investments, Lord, all those things. Lord, just help us to see that you are at work, Lord, on the night shift when we can't see. And Lord, that we will trust you for the harvest. As a matter of fact, Lord, you said um, if we look out, we could actually see the harvest is, is ready right now. And so, Lord, we just trust you for that, Lord. And we do pray, um, laborers, for the harvest, Lord, that it's time. And so we just trust you for that. In your name we pray. Amen. So, um. I'm finishing up a series next week uh, that we started almost six weeks ago now. Um, and I've been talking into various aspects of what it means to follow Jesus, to be a disciple and to make disciples. Um talked about being a fan or a follower, and that you could determine that by surrender being the clue. If you surrender, you're a follower. If you're not surrendered, you're probably just a fan. We talked about prodigal sons and how both of these sons in, in the story that Jesus told about these sons uh, one of them was religious, one of them was not religious, and neither one of them knew their father. So, um, to lean into that, disciple and discipler, we talked about how you can't fully call yourself a disciple until you're actually making disciples. And part of that is recognizing that God has has qualified you to be a disciple maker. So often we're afraid to say, I have a disciple, because we, we recognize our shortcomings and our failings and all those things. Um, but that didn't stop Jesus from telling us to go and make disciples, did it? So... Keep that in mind, and then last week we talked about how to create and sustain a discipleship culture or discipleship environment, and we talked about how it's important uh, to recognize that it's not about adding anything to our life. So often we think, "I've got to do one more thing." It's like, you know, oh my goodness, you know, Dave, we're we're doing so much already. Now you're asking me to go and make disciples, (laughs) right? And so what we find is, if you're just intentional about making disciples, then Jesus has already done the work. We just walk in the good works that He's already provided for us. And so it's less about adding something to your life, and it's more about being intentional and recognizing what Jesus is already doing, what the Lord is already doing in our lives. And so that leads to this week. um, I want to talk about how to hear the voice of God. To follow Jesus, you actually have to know where He's going. And since He's not physically here, right, um, in, in that sense, like He was with the disciples, the first disciples, how do, we, how do we actually follow Jesus? How do we hear his voice and, and stay on track with what he's called to do? How do we recognize it when he, um, he turns and goes a different direction? And so often, if we're not careful, uh, if we're relying on yesterday's manna, we just keep going in the direction we've been going, and we can miss what the Lord is doing in our life and miss what he's doing and how he's reaching out to people that we don't, that, who don't know him. And so let me just read Matthew 28 again. This has been our key scripture. Um, this is the great commission. Um, a mission that we co-labor with, and it's found in Matthew 28, 18. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So I want to talk about how disciples hear God's voice and obey Him how to hear God and obey what he's he's talking to us about. So over 2,000 times in the Old Testament, you see phrases like, and God spoke to Moses, and God spoke to Noah. Uh, Another place it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, Isaiah, and all these different prophets. And then so many times you see just this innocuous little phrase that says, God said. It's very fascinating about how the Lord works in that. Um, During the birth of Jesus in time, we talk about this, and sometimes we miss how God's talking to them, how God was talking to them as a family, how God spoke to Mary through an angel through this encounter, how he spoke to Joseph through a dream, and then he spoke to the shepherds through an angel, this encounter that they had, and then how he spoke to the Magi through a dream. And there's this really fascinating scripture. It never ceases to amaze me when I read this. Um, It's just interesting how it, phrases. This found in Job 33. It says, indeed, God speaks once or twice, yet no one notices it. <laughs> isn't that interesting? It's like it, it, you discover that God is talking all the time. The, it, the issue, and the problem isn't that God's not talking. It's that we're often don't know how to hear him or we're not listening or we've been distracted. It's, it's interesting. Like when, uh, when I turn the TV on, how it it just starts playing like I just catch it right in the middle or I turn the radio on when I'm driving down the road and how it just starts picking up. And it turns out that, you know, those radio waves and those television signals are all the time. They're coming all the time. They never stop. They're constantly bombarding us. But if we're not tuned into it, we we don't actually hear it. We don't actually see what's happening. So um, God's always speaking, but the question is, are we listening? Hebrews 3.15 says, Today, if you hear his voice, Notice how it says, if, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And that's a quote, um, uh, the author of Hebrews is quoting Psalm 95. It says, for he he is our God, and we are the people of his pastor. So he's talking to us. He says, we're the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice. It's this beautiful picture of God is longing to speak to us, to speak truth to us, to speak encouragement. To speak kindness, to speak love, to speak who he is, his mercy, his compassion. He is he is doing it all the time. He is constantly speaking that to us. The challenge so often is we get distracted and we're not tuned in and we miss it. And, and what happens if we're not careful is we begin to hear the spirit of the age. We begin begin to hear the message that's out there. You know, it's in the world, it's in the culture, sometimes it's even in church culture. And we begin to hear a contrary message. And if we're not careful, that contrary message becomes the loudest voice in our lives, and we begin to live according to the voice that we hear in our hearts. And so it's really, really important. John 10, 27 is probably the, the key scripture. My wife quotes this all the time, especially when it's talking about prophecy and hearing the voice of God. It says, and this is Jesus speaking, it says, My sheep hear my voice or listen to my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They do. So often we don't know he's talking But we do hear his voice. He says, I know them and they follow me. So part of following Jesus is hearing his voice and being in relationship with him. Understanding his character, his nature, who he is, how he connects, how he speaks. And so that's really key as we understand the Bible. We're going to get into this in a minute. Understand the written word of God helps us understand the nature and the character of who God is. And so when we learn that, we learn how to hear His voice because if we hear a voice that is contrary to the revealed nature and character of God, we can dismiss it out of hand. But so often we don't, again, because it's very, very loud. It gets very loud in our, in our ears. And so Jesus said that one of the hallmarks of His people, of who His sheep are, is that they know Him, they listen to Him, and they respond to His voice. So in this message, like I said, I want to talk about following Jesus and how it requires something of you. It requires hearing and responding to his voice, it's not just enough to hear. The Bible speaks to that as well. It's not just about hearing. It's about actually obeying what you're hearing. So there's this modern church myth um, that I've been fighting for about 30-something years now, and others have been fighting even longer than that, and it's, it's a word called cessationism. and It's a strange theological term. But basically, basically it's a doctrine that spiritual gifts, especially the voice of God through prophecy, tongues and interpretation, words of knowledge and and the different giftings, um, that those ceased with the apostolic age. In other words, when when the apostles died, Jesus' original disciples died, there was no longer any need for the supernatural gifts. So it comes from primarily a passage that cessationists use, people who believe this doctrine. Um, In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 and 10. So I want to address it for a second because sometimes the question is, does does God actually speak today? It's interesting, when I was doing some research into this, uh, there's a webpage that that allows questions to be asked uh, of a panel, and it's a panel of experts in religion, (laughs) which uh, it's amazing how dumb smart people can be, let me just say that. I've mentioned that a few times, um, but it's interesting because the passage goes through all these different faiths and how their 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 understanding of how um, you know God is doing something, some belief system. And so one of the questions was, does does God still speak today? And what was fascinating about it was, most of the religions don't talk about God being a personal God. They talk about Him being a force or the universe or all these you know all these aspects of creation but not the one who created. And even in the Christian faith, there's arguments about whether God still speaks today, and so most cessationists will keep driving you back to the Scripture because the cessationists will say that God can only speak through Scripture, which is not true, (laughs) by the way. We're going to get into that, obviously. Um, But this passage says, love never fails. This is 1 Corinthians 13.8. Love never fails, but whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, and this is the key verse that is used. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. And so they use the scripture to say that the, when, when the church came and the church was formed on the day of Pentecost, and, and we got the local church, we have pastors now, that we no longer need the voice of Um, of God. He doesn't speak through the gifts. He doesn't move in the supernatural way any longer. That was to establish the church. It was for a season. So it's not that, that cessationists don't believe in the supernatural. They just believe it happened a long, long time ago, and it doesn't happen today. And so the challenge with this scripture is 1 Corinthians 13 is a passage. We think it's a passage about love, but it's actually not a passage about love. It's actually a passage about the gifts. And what it's saying is the environment for the gifts to be healthy and to work effectively is an environment called love. And so if you go read this, 1 Corinthians 12, there's a sandwich. 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between two other chapters, and both of those chapters speak deeply into the supernatural things of God. And so Paul's writing to a church, the Corinthian church, who were, it says in 1 Corinthians 1, who were not lacking in any spiritual gifts. So they were, they were operating completely, 100% in all of the gifts, if you can imagine that. So that's something to be said of a church right there. The challenge was they were not operating in a healthy way. And so Paul writes to them and he says, Hey, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Um, so that's a, that's, that's a thing. You can be ignorant. You can just not know. And, and I, I get that, that happens, but when you do find out, right, the question is what do you actually do with it? Because it can be really intimidating, it can be scary. And so to lean into the spiritual gifts can be a, a, a frightful thing. To lean into hearing God's voice, to say, uh, I actually hear the voice of God, because that's one of the biggest challenges in the in the world today is uh, we, we've created a box in the modern culture that says God can o- only operate within the science and so you just need to follow the science, right? Have you heard that enough already? So so within this box, it's basically it's naturalism. It's whatever whatever physics tells us in this box. You can't have anything outside the box, right? <laughs> Except God just doesn't like boxes. And so we're gonna get into how he, he oftentimes he, he's in the box, he's out of the box, he is the box. I mean, <laughs> he's not the box. It's, he just I mean it, it can get really complicated, right? But but God is really not impressed so often with our theology, and uh, so he challenges us in many ways. But this is one of those things where, again, the Scripture, they use the Scripture to say that that the gifts are ceasing, and all Paul was doing was writing and saying, hey, listen, the, the, the context for the gifts to operate and for the voice of God to operate is love. God is love. That's what it says. He is a spirit. He is love. And so there's this beautiful thing that when we get this, when we really understand this, what we do is we stop doing immature things with the gifts, with the voice of God. So we stop saying things like, um, um, the Lord said. We used to say this all the time in Pentecostal churches and charismatic churches. We had this phrase where we'd prophesy and we'd say, and the Lord would say to his people, or the Lord says, and the challenge with that is it sounds as if it is on par with, with the Bible when we say that, right? I heard the Lord, and so I come if I'm prophetic. And I have a gifting in prophecy, which these guys did. What they would often do is you would see them come and they would, in, they would intimidate people with the, the gift of prophecy. You saw this in the, in when uh, the prophetic was really making a comeback, so to speak, in the 80s and the 90s when prophets were coming back online and the fivefold ministry gifts was being restored in a huge way all across the church. Um, prophets were really, really intimidating. So there was a—I've told this story many times—but the Vineyard Church had a, a, a ministry in Kansas City that had these very well-known prophets in their midst. They call them the Kansas City prophets. You can Google it; it's very interesting. And uh, and so there was this church. Mike Bickle was the pastor of this church, and there arose such a powerful prophetic move in their midst that these guys were literally prophesying signs in the heaven. One, one, at one point, they prophesied that there was, a, there was going to be a sign in the heaven in the next day. And the next day, there was a meteor, not a meteor, uh, uh, what do you, what's the other one? The meteor uh, comet, thank you. There was a new comet that just happened to show up, and it was visible to the naked eye that nobody had ever discovered before. And so these guys had prophesied that this was coming, and then it happened. And so I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want to go to lunch with that guy. He's a little bit intimidating, right? A little scary. And so the problem with that was they began to get a little selfish and a little bit immature with their gifting until at one point in a book Mike Bickle wrote called Growing in the Prophetic, uh, ironic enough, uh, he said there were prophets on either side of the stage. And it was, you know, at this time, the church was probably four or 5,000 people. They were meeting in a stadium and he said on either side of the stage they were dueling prophets. He said this one would prophesy and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't to be outdone. So this guy would prophesy. And it just got in the flesh really, really fast. And so what he, what he said was, he said, I did not understand. that. I, he said the whole time I could have done something about this because my gift as the elder of that church, my, my pastoral gift and my role as the elder, one of the elders in that church was, I could have adjusted that. I could have come to them. And had a conversation with them about their gift and the misuse of their gift, but I was intimidated. And so often we're intimidated by the prophetic. We're intimidated by hearing the voice of God. But it's according to Scripture, it's what we're we're supposed to do. That we're we're His His sheep, and His sheep hear His voice. Is what Jesus said. You do hear His voice. You just often don't recognize it. So. Um, that which is perfect is love, by the way. That's what that's talking about. And it says the gifts at some point will cease. Um, but the question is when. And it, it comes down to that passage. It comes down to when they're no longer needed. So I don't know if you know this, but we're not going to really need healing when we're in heaven. right? Because you have a brand new body that never gets sick or hurt or damaged anymore. Right? I'm looking forward to that, especially the older I get. That seems, I seem to get damaged more easily. And so... Uh, there's not going to be a need for prophecy because you're going you're to stand before the Lord face-to-face and talk to Him, um, just like He's you know, your friend. And the truth is, we can do that now. We just so often uh, are distracted by this natural world because we, if we're not careful, we put more confidence in this world than we do in the one that we cannot see. Right? And so um, when we're in heaven, when this world is done, there's no longer going to be need for the gifts. But until then... Until then, we need them desperately. We need to hear the voice of God desperately. So the context you see in this passage and you see in scriptures is that it's supernatural. And so supernatural just literally means above nature. It doesn't mean against it. So often when we hear supernatural, people, because we're stuck in the box and we're so afraid and so intimidated by what might be outside the box, we just stick our head in the sand or in the box. (laughs) And we don't want to talk about what's outside the box, right? And so the challenge, I think, is that that the Lord has not left us without understanding in Scripture and about who it is that we are and how we're supposed to operate as disciples and how we're supposed to follow Jesus. And the expectation is that we would hear His voice and we would obey Him because He has called us into a mission with Him, a co-mission. The great co-mission is to hear His voice, to do what He says, to teach people to obey, Matthew 28, to obey what He has said, past tense, And then the implication is, and I will be with you always, future tense and present tense, is that he's constantly talking to us if we would just hear his voice. Today, if you would hear his voice, Scripture says. So 1 Corinthians 12, to back it up a little bit, when he begins to introduce the gifts of the Spirit in in, uh, chapter 12, it's very fascinating how he does it, how Paul does this. He says, you know that when you were pagans, when you were, idol worshipers, when you were outside of the kingdom of God, he said, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray two mute idols. That's an interesting phrase, right? The King James said dumb idols, which is also good, but it <laughs> literally means can't talk. So 1 Corinthians 12, 2 in God's Word translation, which is not really a translation, it's more of a paraphrase. It says it this way. It says, you know that when you were unbelievers... Every time you were led to worship false gods, you were worshiping gods who couldn't even speak. So Paul's making a distinction. He said, here's the difference between what you were and what you lived in before and the idol worship that you were connected to before and where you are now. Before, your gods didn't talk. <laughs> you made up words, they said. You put words in their mouth, so to speak, right? But they were no gods as all. He, he put it to, to one group of people. So he says, now though, the God that you serve now, the God that you're connected to, the Father that you have, he speaks to you all the time. So he said, you were led a- away to these dumb, these mute idols who couldn't talk, but that's no longer the case, and that's supposed to be a joy, obviously. It's interesting, 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, pursue love. He comes out of that chapter, chapter 13, so he's, he's sandwiched, remember chapter 12, he's talking about the voice of God comes, and often through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, manifestation gifts of the Holy Spirit. And then he talks this whole chapter about love, and he's saying to them, hey, if you're going to operate in this context, you have to do it within the confines of of something called love, right? Selfless, not selfish, which these guys, if you read 1 Corinthians, they were being very selfish in what they were doing with the gifts and all the things of uh, Scripture. Um, So coming out of that, chapter 14, 1, he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Pursue love. Like, so here's the context within which you live it. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. Why? Why did he say, why is prophecy so important? Why does does he say, if you're going to go after gifts, go after this one specifically? And the answer is clear. It's the way God talks to us. It's the way God speaks to us personally. It's the way God uses us as believers in community to speak to one another i I remember uh when I was in hospital and I was all drugged up um, pancreatitis I was in intensive care for eight days in denver and there was a there was a moment where i was I was coherent enough in my mind to hear a voice in my head that said, "You are gonna die and you're gonna leave Karen alone you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna make her a widow that was you're gonna leave her alone that was the the thing I heard and so i'm fighting that and little bit of a drug haze, right? So, so I'm trying to fight that because I'm like, I know that's not that's not what God desires, right? He doesn't want to leave my wife alone. So, so I'm pushing back against that, trying to fight it, but I am, I'm struggling to do it. And my wife gets up. She's sitting over there. She was just sitting over praying, and she gets over, gets up, and walks right over to me. puts her hand on me. I can't talk to her because I'm in such a bad bad way. And she starts praying, and she says, "You will not die." In Jesus' name, (laughs) you will live and you will not die. God did not send you here to die. This is not your time. And she just went on and on and on in, in a pushback against what the voice of the enemy was saying in my heart and head, and yet she was hearing that I was hearing a lie. See how that works? And so she came and she prophesied to me, and she said, Hey, I know what you're hearing is loud, but let me be louder still and tell you what God is actually saying. And this is what God is saying. And so what's fascinating about that was she was, she was communicating to me the logos, the Word of God, the, you know, the written-down Word of God that becomes the guardrails for our faith. But at the same time, she was operating in the rhema Word of God, which is the now Word of God. What is the Lord saying in this moment to you that matters more than all the other things He could say to you in the moment, right? And so it's fascinating how we can use that for one another and how God's designed that for all of us. And, and you know, Paul talks about prophecy. He says, desire that above all the other gifts. He talked about Moses being um, prophetic, and he says that, that Moses' passion was that all of God's people would be prophets, that all of God's people would prophesy and minister in that way and, and, and tell one another what they feel like the Lord is saying. Um, there's a couple of... Uh, um, Small groups, Karen's leading one and I think the Mitchells are leading one as well called Identity and we're going to talk about this in the future about why it's so powerful and some of the testimonies, we're going to share some of those in the future of what this is, what's happening through this because part of the way identity works is it is the voice of God to who you are, not what you're doing or what you've done or what you've been, but who God actually says you are. And so part of the prophetic and part of our role as believers to one another is to connect with each other and to speak into one another's life who God says you are. It's really easy to point out your sin. It's it's so easy, right? It's so easy to point out the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and and all those things. But it's challenging to, to, to dig out the gold in people's lives. To speak to them. And part of Karen and I, what we love to do, and one, one of the things that God, I think, has made us good at, is to speak into people's life and say, this is who God says you are. And it's you can see the confusion on people's faces sometimes when they're like, you, you obviously don't know me. And our r- remark is, you, you obviously don't know you. We, we're we hearing by the Spirit. And that's what Paul said. He said, I made the mistake of knowing Jesus after the flesh. And so he makes this this interesting comment. He says, I, I will no longer know anyone after the flesh. I won't, I won't do that any longer. I'm only going to know them in the Spirit. So what does that mean? Do, you know, do we all just run up and pray in tongues to each other? Well, if you're Pentecostal, you can do that, I guess. <laughs> right? It's fine. But that's not what it means. It just means that I recognize you and see who you are in the Spirit. And, and all that means is I'm hearing the voice of God speak to me about who you are. And so I have to learn as a disciple not just to hear the voice of God for my own life, which is important, but also to learn how to hear the voice of God for you as well. Now, you are responsible for what you do with what I say to you and say to you that I feel like the Lord is saying, which is another reason why we soften the language and we don't say, the Lord says, or God's talking to me and telling me to say this to you. There are times for that. that's fine. Use it as an emphasis. But my challenge so often is we run into the place where we, where we say things that might be tainted a little bit with our own interpretation. And so if we're not careful, we can speak things into people's lives that are just not true. And, and so it's, it's important that you, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, learn to hear his voice, to understand his character and his nature, and base what people are saying to you, whether it's the world, whether it's your boss, whether it's your parents, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your pastor, whoever it is, to base what they're saying to you. Not on what they're saying or the indications on the outside, but on what the Lord is saying about you from eternity past to eternity future. It's important to understand that. So how does God speak? So many ways. Um, We mentioned through the gifts, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, and interpretation. And if you don't know how those work, learn. (laughs) Right? Get with people who operate in those gifts and go, hey, how does that work? Um, that Karen and I remember when we were learning, we would ask the, these guys who were mentoring us, we would say, this is what's happening in me. Is that how it works with you? And sometimes it would be yes, and sometimes it would be no. That, that's not how it works with me. That God's doing it different, differently than in you. So, so it's individualized to the extent that he's going to be very specific about who you are, your gifts, your calling, personality, all those things. But it's also scriptural in the sense of this is what it's going to look like, and this is how it's going to end up. Working and functioning. So it's important to understand that. So he talks to us through scripture. We talked about that, of course. Visions and pictures and words and numbers and sense or feeling. So many ways that God speaks to us. But often what he's doing is he's speaking to us spirit to spirit. And so we feel, we know, we sense something's happening inside of us. And we can't, it's tough for us to use words, natural words, to explain what it is that God's doing. But Jesus said about the Spirit of God moving, he said, it's kind of like the wind. You, You can't see the wind, but you can see the effects or the fruit of the wind. So you can see the wind move something, and you know it was moved by the wind, even though you never saw the wind move it. And the Spirit of God is like that. We can see the effects, and we can learn and grow and understand the fruit of something, and come back and evaluate, and come back and adjust, and make sure that we're leaning more and more into the character and nature of God, so it's important to do that. So there's a, a, an interesting cessationist objection when we talk about hearing the voice of God. It's important that you understand this because it's a very very uh, um, important distinction. Let me put it that way. And here's that objection. That any prophetic utterance or anything that you feel like God is saying outside of Scripture that is decidedly from God must be infallible and equal in authority with the canon of Scripture. But... If you know anything about how the, the voice of God operates in an individual's life, you know that's not true. We don't pretend at all that my prophetic word has any validity as Scripture. That's not what God's doing. It's always something that's, that's interpreted and, and applied and, and brought to you by revelation, and it's subject to the written word of God. And it's always in submission to what God has revealed about himself in Scripture. Uh, One cessationist writer says this on his website, referring to the New Testament gift of prophecy. He said, we must treat such words as the word of God, which means that we must treat them as scripture. Now, I I don't invest a lot, but I do know if I'm going to invest in something, I don't go to a person who's lost all their money. Do you? (laughs) So if I'm going to learn about the voice of God and the gifts and the supernatural things of God, I'm not going to sit down with a guy on his website who's never experienced this in any form or fashion, who has, has an opinion where he's so sure of what he's saying that he uses the word must, right? So be careful. There are people out there who push back on this, and they sound so authoritative, but they're not, because we're going to, we're going to go with Scripture, which hopefully that's what we're all doing, but... Again, this is not what Scripture teaches. It doesn't teach that it's the same as, as, uh, as Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. Who are the others? So there's some, there's some debate about whether the others are the elders of the church or the mature believers or just believers in general or other prophets, people who operate in that gift. But here's the, here's the point. The Bible challenges us. When we're hearing the voice of God for ourselves or for another, to judge it based on what? How do we judge it? Is it just how I feel? Because again, nowadays in our postmodern culture, it's all about subjective reasoning. I'm on my journey. You can't tell me anything absolute. I'm on my journey. It's you know my truth and my journey. It's all about me, 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 right? Which Jesus is like, I have some things I'd like to say to that, Right? So the, the, the picture is God doesn't allow that, and He challenges us to judge the Word of God, the, the prophetic Word of God, the, the, you know, the gifts of the Spirit, and the ministry, and the voice of God, and the now voice of God, and the Rama word. We judge it by the logos, by the written Word of God, and God's character and His nature. It's helpful to understand that, because the Bible the is the guardrails that keeps us safe. And so it literally will keep us Um, in a safe place. So the Bible is infallible. It's inerrant. It's our supreme authority for faith and life. The Bible is the infallible word of God. It is. Modern day prophecy is decidedly not. And it's helpful to understand that. It doesn't, doesn't mean it doesn't have value. It's just not the same as Scripture, nor should it be treated as such. Everybody understand that? So there's guardrails for hearing God, and I mentioned before that subjective words are subject to the written word, which is scripture. They are to benefit individual believers, but are not necessarily binding to all believers, but scripture is. Right? If you read something in the Bible and it's in context, it's speaking to you as a believer, then you are responsible to what scripture says. But if I come to you and says, it says, I come to you and I say, we used to do this all the time with, with teenage girls in, in, in uh, when we were leading youth ministry, we'd say, I just hear the number 12, and they're like, what? I said, yeah, I just feel like the Lord's saying the number 12. I think that's how many kids you're supposed to have. <laughs> These 14 teenage girls aren't thinking about having kids at all, but to have 12, dear God. They're like, oh, no, no, please don't let that be the voice of God. But part of it was a way we would teach them. Just because someone says something is the Word of God doesn't necessarily mean that it is true. But when Scripture speaks to something, right, like be fruitful and multiply, <laughs> it's okay to have kids, is what the Bible saying. So the Bible protects you from error. Um, Psalm 119.11 says, I've hidden your word in my heart. For what reason? So that I, I might not sin against you. So I know what, so often we talk about sin is missing the mark, but we forget to talk about the mark, right? And so what Scripture does is it gives you the mark. It gives you the ability to not miss what it is that God is saying and asking of you and speaking into your life. Colossians 3.16 says something very interesting. It says, Let the word of Christ... Dwell in you richly. Dwell, live. Let the word of God, scripture, what, you know, everything in, in the Old Testament and the New Testament is pointing to Jesus. Hebrews talks about that. In, the, in, the, in other times, God spoke in various ways through the prophets. He spoke through angels. But in these last days, he's, he's spoken now through his son. right? So do what he says. And Jesus talks about that. Teach them to obey everything I said. And I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So he's saying, let the word of God dwell in you so that these other places, these other things, admonishing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart, that all of these things would come from the depths of the richness of the word of God inside of you. So I read something, you know, people say, man, it's so hard to go online nowadays because there's so many people who call themselves Christians, and I start reading stuff, and I'm like, I'm not sure if that's the Word of God. Well, it probably isn't, (laughs) right? Because there's something inside of you that when you read something, you go, hold up, that doesn't seem to be consistent with God's nature or His character. Well, that's because it's not consistent with His nature and His character. It's not hard, actually, right? And so the more you do that, the more you place God's Word inside of you, the more of a protection it gives you from the 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 voice of the world but also from the voice sometimes even in your own heart of your emotions of 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 uh, so often as I prayed before at the, at the beginning of this message that we we become weary and worn out and worn down and when that happens if we're not careful i want to give in and quit why because i feel like quitting but why why don't i how do i keep going and the answer is because i'm not I'm not basing what I'm doing in my obedience on what I feel. I'm basing it on what God has said because what he said is true and always will be true. And from time to time, if, if we allow it, his voice will come to us and remind us again of who he is and who we are in him. Amen? So here's a simple truth, and it's helpful to remember when we think about hearing the voice of God, that God speaks with people apart from the Bible. That is a very controversial statement, by the way, because a lot of people say that's not true. But God does speak with the people apart from the Bible, but he never contradicts it. So when you understand that, you can hear the voice of God talk to you about where to go to school or um, you know, what, what job to pursue or career or, or direction, you're getting direction in your life, but you're not doing it in contradiction to his written word of God, which again helps us understand His character and His nature. So let me just give you three aspects of hearing as I kind of land the plane this morning. So here's a couple of general thoughts about, first of all, that hearing God in Scripture, that I have to be careful to distinguish between what the Bible says and what I say the Bible says. Let me read it again. I must be careful to distinguish between what the Bible says and what I say the Bible says, or what someone else says the Bible says. So how do you do that? Again, as you study Scripture, you you determine what Scripture says by what Scripture says. You interpret the Bible with the Bible. The danger of just going and reading commentaries and reading the things that other people say before you get the Word of God inside of you is that you buy into a narrative. Because if you grow up in a denomination, it's a group of considered beliefs that are the same. That's part of what makes denominations work is you believe the same thing. So if you disagree on most points, then you can't be in that denomination. That's why you see nowadays certain denominations are splitting over the question of homosexuality, um, especially in in the ministry. And so you, you look at this and you ask the question, well, how in the world could they get that from Scripture? And the answer is they're saying that the Bible says this. And, and again, all you have to do is go back and read what the Bible says. <laughs> it's super clear. There's so few things in Scripture that are actually vague. It, but it's really easy to say that because the moment I say that, it, um, how do I put this kindly? <laughs> it absolves me from responsibility to do what the Bible says. Because isn't it easy to say, well, you know, that's not very clear. But part of being a disciple is going, it's, it's actually pretty clear. <laughs> right, <laughs> and when you say that, people they get all they get all set. Well, that's your interpretation. Yeah, but it's also what the Bible says. And so, like, let's maybe maybe talk about absolutes for a second, right? Because again, that's part of what our culture does. So, um, the second part of that is I have to be even more careful to distinguish between what I say you ought to do based on what the Bible says. In other words, I, I'm I'm interpreting the Bible, which has some challenges, right, because I could get it wrong. And then if I'm not careful, now I try to apply it to you in ways that are off. So now I've taken a left turn and another left turn. If I'm not careful, I'll be headed 180 degrees in the wrong direction away from God because I've interpreted something, I've interpreted it wrong and then also applied it wrong. And so it's helpful to understand that, especially when you're hearing the voice of God through the rhema word. So let me just give you an example. This is about forgiving others in a way we can get the Bible wrong. Matthew 6, 14, 15 um, says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that's in red, by the way. Jesus said that. And you should do what Jesus said, right? So what the Bible says, Matthew 28, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm with you, right? So the challenge with this is if you take this out of context you can get it really, really wrong in your life and you can become a legalist very quickly. So let me give you an example because the passage that Jesus is quoting, when he's talking to somebody, he's not talking to you and I as believers in this modern era. This was pre-cross and he was talking to people who were under the law. So how do you know that? Matthew 5, 17, right before that, the conversation changed. He's talking about the Beatitudes. He's talking a prophetic word about the kingdom coming. The kingdom is at hand, right? And then he says this, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets, right? I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So what does that mean? Jesus change the conversation from preaching this context that fits you with the Beatitudes, blessed is, blessed are those, right? That covers you and I as believers. And he moves into a very specific group of people who were under the law. And he starts going after them because they had taken the law and they had softened it so that they could actually live up to the law. But you can't live up to the law. And that was Jesus' problem in Matthew 5 and 6. You're acting as if you have fulfilled the law and you're not gonna do it. Right. That's why other places in the Bible says that the law was a a schoolmaster to to bring you to the Savior, to bring you to an understanding that you have need of a Savior because you cannot follow the law in your own strength. You have a broken heart. You have a a hard heart. You have a heart that's stuck in sin. And Jesus Jesus says, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a new heart, a brand new life. And when you get that, Now, in your relationship with me, you're going to live out the law. You're going to live out the fruit of the law without the law because I fulfilled it on your behalf. Beautiful, right? That's grace. So here's here's how it gets interpreted then in the rest of the New Testament. Um, Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So before, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. That's the law. And it was showing you that you don't know how to forgive, right? That you can't do that without God's help. We think we can, but we can't. So Jesus is pouring on the law, and he's putting the law on steroids. What he's really doing is he's just making the law be what the law was meant to be, which is impossible for you and I, to drive you to the understanding that you have a need for a Savior. Colossians 3.12 says the same thing. Listen to this. Bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone has a complaint against one another, that never happens at DCF. Nobody ever has a complaint against anybody at DCF. So I don't know what they're talking about there. That's their other churches. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. So here's, here's what, that, what that means. The Bible is saying that because Jesus has forgiven you, now you have the ability to forgive others. But Dave, you don't understand. No, no you don't understand because for you to forgive you have to understand how much you've been forgiven because when you realize how much you've been forgiven nothing that's been done to you becomes unforgivable because you realize you realize the depth of forgiveness that God has given you and once you once you settle that in your heart it becomes easier not easy but it becomes easier to forgive one another which is what The church is supposed to look like it's not that we never mess it up it's that when we do there's a beautiful thing called forgiveness that we actually walk in the real act and real truth of forgiveness and the world doesn't do that very easily so how does how does this work the three aspects of hearing the voice of God and I'm going to keep this simple and then close it up revelation is the first one what did God actually say it has to be consistent with scripture so you can read the Bible, and from the Bible you can see, like those two passages I just said or just read, were about forgiving one another, bearing with one another, how to be in relationship with one another. So the Bible teaches us how to do it, and understanding that the only way to do that is to be in communion with Jesus. It's the only way to do it, right? But this revelation then, God comes and says, hey, I've called you to preach. Okay, is that in line with Scripture? Sure, you see that happen with lots of people in Scripture. But at some point, it's not... It's not anti-scriptural, right? What about this? God's called me to go preach the gospel in China. Well, what's the difference between China and Brazil, right? And the <laughs> There's a vast difference, by the way, if you're wondering. But the difference is God has commanded us in scripture to go into all the earth and to make disciples, to preach the gospel to everybody, right? But where should you go? Because has God called you to Africa or Brazil or China or any other place? Because if he has, why are you still here? Well, go, <laughs> go do that. But, but if God's called you to be here, then be here and be safe in that. Be be settled in the fact that you are a mission, you are a missionary on a mission right here in Dothan, Alabama, right? So revelation is what's God saying, but it has to be consistent with scripture. It doesn't necessarily mean that it happened in scripture. Let me give you an example. Um, numerous places you see Jesus casts demons out. You see, the disciples do the same thing; they cast demons out, right? We had a situation in, it, in Northlands, up in Atlanta, when Karen and I were leading youth ministry up there. One of our youth leaders, young woman, um, who was an older teen, um, she called us and she said, "The weirdest thing just happened. Um, I just cast a demon out of a guy over text." <laughs> so there's a way to use your telephone, right? And so what had happened was this, he had texted, it was a friend of hers from school, and he was texting her, and it was getting weirder and weirder and weirder by the moment and getting more and more um, uh, perverse is probably the best way. And it was not like him at all. And she was like, what is going on? Is this, you know, somebody got your phone? And so it just got weirder and weirder, and she finally sensed there's something going on here, demonic. And so she texted him. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You come out of him and you leave him alone. You have no place in him. He belongs to Jesus. And it, and the, it just went silent for a couple hours. And so later on, her dad got involved, went over and connected with this, this person's family and discovered that this young man was in his room. He was texting her. He'd been messing around with some things he shouldn't mess around with. And the next thing you know, he, he's overcome. And he said, I was texting stuff that I, I actually couldn't control myself. And he said, and when you texted, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, whatever that was causing me to do that stopped. And, and, he, and uh, they found out later that he was basically unconscious for almost two or three hours. And then he came to himself, and he had thrown up on himself. And so these, a lot of the same indications you see in Scripture. So here's the thing. Where in the Bible does it say text demons out of people? Right? <laughs> Thank you. <Right? laughs> and the point behind this is, there God is going to do some things in you that are a biblical, not unbiblical, but a biblical. What about driving a car? Is that biblical? I mean, you know, if you don't have a donkey, right? And that whole, you think we laugh at that, but whole groups of Christians have avoided technology because it's not in the Bible. Could you imagine what Paul could have done with an iPhone 13? Can you just imagine <laughs> and an iPad and the internet? Could you imagine what he might have done? Because look at what he did without it, right? So it's just helpful to understand that. So revelation is the first thing. Don't let it be anti-scriptural, but it can be biblical. It's helpful to know that. The second thing is how do you interpret it? What does that mean? What does it mean? What is what the Lord's saying to you mean? And part of that is it's not... You don't just decide on your own. You get around other believers. You read Scripture. You give it some time. You meditate on what the Lord is saying to you. And you get confirmation and affirmation that the Lord is continually saying it. Out of two or, two or three witnesses, let everything be established, right? At least two. And so then the last thing is the application. What do I do about it? And here's the thing. It has to be intentional. And one way you do that is just keep a record of it. Um, if you want to hear what the Lord has been saying to Karen... Um, she's got an uh, app on her phone where she records everything. If you notice, if you ever come to us and you say, hey, I feel like the Lord has something. Her birthday party recently, we had Karen. Um, we recorded every single thing that every one of you guys who came to her birthday said that God said to her. <laughs> and she'll listen to those, and she'll, she'll pray into those things, and she'll get confirmation. This ties into what the Lord was saying about me here, and this is the season that I'm in. And it gives, what it does is it gives us direction about this is how God is moving in our life and it allows me to follow Jesus, right? And it can be scary sometimes, which is why you need community. You don't just come up and go, you know, the Lord told me to quit my job. As your pastor, I would say, I don't think the Lord told you to do that until I know the Lord told you to do that, <laughs> right? And so I'm going to pray, Lord, if, if they're supposed to quit their job, would you maybe tell a, other, a few other people, right, to help them confirm that? Because if they do that, then, their fam- then we're all going to have to take care of them. Right? <laughs> so now money that we could use to do mission and other things, we're taking care of somebody because they screwed up and thought God said something and didn't actually say. So that's where community comes in. So application and, and interpretation often comes not just from what you're thinking, but it, it's tied into Scripture. It's not anti-Scripture. But it's also connected to what the Lord has been saying to you and is, going to, and is speaking to others. So it's helpful to understand that. So let me close with this. Um, this is Matthew 28, 20 again but it's in the New Living Translation, a paraphrase. It says, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So teach them to obey all the commands I have given you, past tense. And then, I am with you always, obey what I will tell you is the implication. Not just from Scripture, but also what he's speaking in your heart and life. So I'm going to leave you with this. There's two questions. We always talk about this. Um, Two questions that every disciple needs to answer. So if, if you're feeling challenged right now and feeling lost or don't have clarity in what the Lord is doing in your life, if you ever feel that, you just come back to these two questions and ask them of yourself. And you can ask these to other disciples and it'll help And The first one is, what's God saying to you? If you don't know that, well, of course you're confused. Is God saying, be still? Is God saying get busy? <laughs> is God saying, let this relationship go or lean into this relationship? Is, is God saying, hey, I, w- I want to talk to you about this, this thing that you're doing that seems to be a little bit unhelpful? What is God actually saying to you? And, and how do you know that? Again, Scripture is going to speak to some of those things, obviously. It's very interesting that the Bible has a part in it where it says to people who were stealing things, stop doing that. That fascinates me that the Bible has a passage in it that says, those who stole steal no more, <laughs> right? Like, how dumb can you be and still breathe, right? It's like, I'm going to be a, a stealing Christian, right? I don't, I don't know if you can, actually. <laughs> At some point, those two kind of contradict themselves, right? So ask the question, what's the Lord saying? And then the last question is so incredibly important, what are you actually doing about it? Because this is what we discover, you know, we use a circle called the the, um, the learning circle. And on one side of it is we talk about how the Lord speaks to you, observation and reflection and and uh, uh, conversation and discussion among other believers, right? It's a way to hear the voice of God. What's he saying to you? And then you move from what he said to you into the obedient side of the circle. And, and that's, you know, uh, application. You have to actually decide what it is to do. You have to be accountable to somebody. And then you actually have to do it. You have to actually put that in, right? But here's what I've discovered with most people's lives as believers. They spend a whole lot of time on this side of the circle, talking and discussing and reflecting on what God has said, and very little time actually doing it. But let me just say this. As a disciple, Jesus said, this is what you teach the disciples. Teach every new believer this. To hear God, what he said to us through Scripture, through the Logos, what he's saying to us, Through Rhema, what he's saying to us in these now words, and there are ways to learn how to do that well. I've been talking about that. But at the end of the day, if you don't obey what the Lord has said, it's as if you are still following mute idols and gods. And so your life as a believer doesn't look any different than people's lives who are not believers. And so my question is simply this: if we're on mission, how are we ever going to reach the world? When we look just like the world, so there are going to be moments where the Lord comes and says, "I want to. I want to speak something radical." Sometimes it's going to be simple, little. You know, it's going to be a whisper. And it's going to be a slight adjustment in your life, and that's those are wonderful. That happens all the time. There's some up that are going to be major, major decisions that you are you're hearing the Lord, and it's a radical departure from from the status quo. Karen and I, twelve years ago, we were in the best church we've ever been a part of. In our whole lives, and I'd planted churches, and it was better than the churches I had planted, right? So it was an amazing church. Still is, Northland's up in Atlanta. It was one of the, it's, We were there for three years. And God said, I want you to leave that church, and I want you to go to Dothan, Alabama, right, to a church that has not had a leader for a long time, and I want you to plug in, and, and I'm in this, and you're going to hear my voice, and it's going to get confirmed. And he did confirm it numerous times, especially through Karen and I. And then we said Yes. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what that was going to look like. God didn't say, hey, everything's going to work out. <laughs> he just said, hey, I want you to go. Trust me. I was like, can, can, we, can we talk about the fruit for a minute? Is what, you know, <laughs> how, how's that? Are the people going to like me? Are they going to be nice to me? I don't know, <laughs> right? Didn't even consider it. Honestly, didn't even consider it. The Lord said go. And I just want you to know this. We did that because we knew no matter how good that was, that the Lord in His kindness to us, was better still. And that whatever He called us to do, even if it was sacrifice, He had a reason, He had a purpose, and He had a mission for us to be on. And we needed to say yes, regardless of the outcome. But it was a radical departure from job, career, a church we loved, a city, not not much love the traffic, but we love the city, right? To come here, and, and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It's been one of the greatest decisions that we've ever made, but it was, it's not because we decided to come here. It was because God said, I want you to go, and it was a radical departure. So let me ask you this question. What's the Lord said to you? Do you even know? And I'm, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just trying to get you to see that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to hear his voice for your life. You have to hear his voice for others' lives, especially if you're in a leadership role, if you're parenting. You have to hear the voice of God for your kids as well. And confirm and affirm them what the Lord is saying in them. Confirm and affirm in, in believers that are part of the team that you lead. So what's the Lord saying to you? And the, and the simple question, what are you actually doing about it? Are you putting it off? Have you gotten distracted? Have you, have you said no? I just want to challenge you. The Lord in His kindness, in His mercy, in His goodness, He is who He says He is. He's radically good. And whatever challenge, whatever thing he's asking you to do, no matter how challenging, no matter how fearful, potentially, no matter what a sacrifice, what kind of sacrifice it might look like, it is the best possible outcome for your life. And he will bless you in ways you can't even begin to imagine because of your obedience. He doesn't stop loving you if you're disobedient. You need to hear that. But so many things that the Lord wants to do in your life, he can't do if you're disobedient. So hear what he's saying and do what he's saying. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? So Jesus, we say thank you, Lord, for your voice in our hearts. Lord, thank you that we are no longer led astray by mute idols. Lord, that we had to put words in our God's mouth. But Lord, now we have submitted our hearts and our lives Um, to a Father who loves us way more than we love ourselves even. And so, Lord, whatever you're challenging us in, Lord, whatever you're calling us to, whatever you're speaking, Lord, no matter how radical it may seem or look like, Lord, I want to be a disciple who says yes. Lord, teach me. Teach me, Lord. Help me with my unbelief. Help me with fear. Help me with weariness. Help me with distractions, Lord. Because my heart is, I want to lean into you and I want to say yes. And, Lord, when I do that, I know not only are you going to bless me, Lord, but you're going to bless everyone that I have influence in their lives because of my obedience to you. And for that, Lord, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer this morning, our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a wonderful, wonderful week.